Accidents are an unavoidable fact of life. Or are they? In this podcast, we discuss current events through one personal injury lawyer's perspective. In each episode, we'll focus on one event and attempt to answer the oftentimes not-so-simple question, who's to blame? I'm your host, Jonathan Ratchick. This podcast is sponsored by the law firm of Kramer and Levy and Ratchick PLLC and is for entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you think you might have a lawsuit, you should contact an attorney. On Saturday, April 17, 2021, 71-year-old Hing Chung, manager of the Jingfong Restaurant at the corner of West 78th Street and Amsterdam Avenue in Manhattan, was tragically killed after getting struck by an e-bike. Mr. Chung had just parked his car on the west side of Amsterdam Avenue next to a protected bike lane, when he exited his car and stepped into the bike lane, which is located between the parking lane and the sidewalk. Upon doing so, he was immediately struck by a 39-year-old delivery worker who's traveling north in the bike lane on an e-bike. Mr. Chung, who suffered trauma to his head and arm, was rushed by ambulance to Mount Sinai Hospital. Eight days later, he was pronounced dead. He is survived by one son. Mr. Chung represented the fourth pedestrian killed by e-bikes since 2014 and is part of a troubling trend so far this year. Between January 1st and April 28th, there were 41 pedestrian deaths in New York City, compared to only 26 deaths last year, an increase of almost 60%, and significantly higher than the number of deaths reported in 2018 and 2019. In this episode of The Blame Game, we try to answer the question of, who's to blame for Mr. Chung's tragic death? Because if you read the comments that have been posted about this crash online, such as on websites for newspapers that have covered the story, you'll quickly understand that New Yorkers have very strong opinions about bicyclists, and especially crashes involving bicyclists and pedestrians. Some New Yorkers look at e-bikes as an almost existential threat and a danger to pedestrians throughout the city. Others blame Mr. Trunk for the tragedy that befell him that afternoon, while still others believe the problem is one of inadequate infrastructure and lay blame at the feet of the city itself. And on some level, each side has a valid point. But from a personal injury lawyer's perspective, I'm inclined to say that the bicyclist is the one to blame in this case, but with the caveat that he might have a really good defense. A bicyclist, whether on an old-fashioned pedal bike or an e-bike, also known as a pedal assist bike, is governed by the same rules of the road as the driver of an automobile. He has a legal duty to see what there is to be seen under the circumstances, to only drive the bicycle at a reasonably safe speed with due regard for traffic conditions, pedestrians, etc. And even though e-bikes are allowed to ride in the bicycle lane, as the delivery worker was doing at the time of this incident, he's still required to keep a proper lookout for pedestrians and for people who are getting out of their cars. If you're riding an e-bike in a bike lane and there are cars parked alongside it, it's reasonably foreseeable that people are going to open their doors into your path and you have to anticipate this. Think of it as defensive driving for bicyclists. As of right now, we don't know how fast the bicyclist was traveling on Amsterdam Avenue, whether he saw Mr. Chung while he was exiting his vehicle, or before he stepped into the bike lane, or whether he even had an opportunity to avoid the the collision. Certainly, if the bicyclist was traveling at an unsafe speed, or saw Mr. Chung getting ready to exit his vehicle and did not slow down, or give any warning of his approach, a jury could very well find him negligent and hold him responsible and his employer responsible under the doctrine of a respondeat superior for Mr. Chung's tragic death. But it's also possible that the bicyclist might have a valid defense 
under what is known as the emergency doctrine. The emergency doctrine basically states that when someone is faced with a sudden and unexpected situation, which leaves him with little or no time for deliberation, the person will not be negligent if the actions taken are reasonable in the context of the emergency. In other words, someone acting in an emergency is not going to be held to the same level of care or standard as someone who has a full opportunity to reflect. A classic example would be a child who gets struck by a car after darting into the street from in between two parked cars. Or in this instance, someone who exits their car into a bike lane and steps into the path of an approaching e-bike. Under such circumstances, assuming Mr. Chung's presence could not have been anticipated by the delivery worker, leaving him with not enough time to stop or take other actions to avoid the collision, the worker would have a valid defense under this doctrine. Even assuming that the e-bicyclist was not entitled to this emergency doctrine defense, he'd still be able to reduce his own liability by the amount of fault a jury apportioned to Mr. Chung. New York is what's known as a comparative fault state, which means that when an incident occurs, and it's arguably caused by the conduct of both the plaintiff and the defendant, the jury apportions liability between the two. And a jury could certainly find that Mr. Chung was partially at fault, or even entirely at fault, for stepping into the bicycle lane before it was safe to do so, and into the path of an approaching e-bike. And if a jury finds that Mr. Chung is partially at fault for the happening of this crash, such a finding would have profound effects on the damages that his estate can recover. Because any damages awarded by a jury to Mr. Chung's estate would be reduced by a proportionate share of Mr. Chung's comparative fault. For example, if the jury awarded the estate $1 million but found Mr. Chung to be 50% responsible for what happened, the jury's award would be reduced by 50% to $500,000. Or if it found him to be 75% responsible for the collision, by $750,000 to $250,000. In the event a jury found the bicyclist to be at fault, the damages that Mr. Chung and his estate would be entitled to recover are twofold. Damages for his own conscious pain and suffering, and pecuniary damages, which is a fancy word for economic loss. Now, without access to Mr. Chung's medical records, there's no way of knowing whether he had any conscious pain and suffering. Given that he was diagnosed with a head injury immediately following the crash, it's very possible that he lost consciousness right away. And without any evidence that he had some level of awareness before dying, Mr. Chung would not be entitled to any damages for pain and suffering. His son, however, would still be entitled to recover damages for his own economic loss. As I've mentioned many times on this podcast, New York's wrongful death statute is, to put it mildly, cruel. It does not allow surviving family members to recover damages for grief, emotional loss, or loss of companionship. The only damages recoverable by surviving family members are pecuniary damages, loss of financial support, and provided they are proven, loss of services and loss of parental guidance. Assuming Mr. Chung contributed his earnings to the financial support of his son, his son would be entitled to recover damages equal to the amount of such support for however many more years Mr. Chung would have worked. He might also be entitled to recover the Social Security benefits his father would have received after his retirement, the value of the services his father performed around the house, whether it was cooking, cleaning, or doing laundry, and the value of the parental guidance he provided. Presently, there is a bill in the New York State Senate to amend New York's estate powers and trust law and to expand the types of damages that can be recovered in a wrongful death action. As currently drafted, the bill would allow surviving family members to recover damages for grief and anguish, and loss of love, society, protection, comfort, and companionship. Sadly, however, a version of this bill has been introduced every year 
since 2009, only to be defeated by those who prefer the status quo and argue that the proposed change would only add to the cost of doing business in New York. And until politicians can muster the courage to amend New York's wrongful death statute, the families of those who have been lost due to the negligence of others, whether on two feet or on two wheels, will continue to be denied full compensation for their loss. Thank you for listening to The Blame Game. This episode was brought to you by Kramer, Dunleavy, and Ratchik, PLLC. Come check us out at kdrpilawyers.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, head on over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. It's very much appreciated. Thank you, and have a great day.